Y'all, our scripture today is coming out of the Gospel of Matthew. And, uh, you know, as I, was, as I was going over it this week, it kind of occurred to me that I tend to preach from this book um, a lot. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that I really do it intentionally, but at the same time, I will admit to you that uh, the Gospel of Matthew really is my favorite of the Gospels. And, uh, matter of fact, it's, it's really one of my favorite books of the Bible, just, just in general. Um, so even though I think that I don't do it consciously, maybe I do it subconsciously, I don't know. Um, but really, you know, I think that the primary reason that I love Matthew so much um, is that it places, or the author places, a lot of emphasis in the Gospel of Matthew on the teachings of Jesus. Within, it, uh, within, within that Gospel, you're going to find what we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Y'all hear me reference that a lot. It's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's probably Jesus' uh, most well-known sermon. But beyond that, you're also going to find about four or five other major discourses or major sermons uh, that you just don't find in the other Gospels. Or if you do find them, you just don't, you don't find them to the extent that at least that they're written out in the Gospel, in, in Matthew. Um, so I've really always just, I've always looked at, and by the way, the, the early church really loved Matthew but, uh, a lot as well. Um, and I think it's for that reason because there's just so much of Jesus' teachings in it. They just wanted to really absorb all that he had to say. Um, so yeah, you know, in my personal life, I've always viewed uh, Matthew as a guidebook into how Jesus thinks, you know, into how his how his thoughts, his words, and his react or his actions are really fleshed out in how he teaches us what it looks like to really be a follower, to really be one of his followers. Which kind of brings us to our scripture today. Now, our scripture today is not a teaching; it's not a, it's not a sermon; it's not a parable, but it is about following. Um, something that we talk a lot about here at Bemis uh, United Methodist. As a matter of fact, our scripture today is about the first people that Jesus calls to be his disciples. And it's about how they respond to that call. Most of you, I'm sure, uh, many of you at bare minimum are very, very familiar with this passage. It's a very com commonly referenced passage. Uh, but as I so often like to do with you guys and, and passages and scriptures that are familiar to us, I want you to take and, and try your best to look at this scripture with some fresh eyes. What we're going to read um, is a narrative, okay? What we're going to read is a, is, is a story. And uh, y'all have, have, have seen me do this before, as you see, you've heard me ask you guys to do this before. But what I want you to do while we're reading through these verses is I want you to place yourself in the middle of this story. I want you to, uh, uh, to really try to feel what the people in this story are feeling. Put yourselves in their shoes, in other words. I want you to think of the place, and I want you to think of the environment uh, that they're in. And lastly, you know, I want you to try to take notice of some part of this scripture that really stands out to you, some part of this scripture that really makes you kind of stop and think. Same thing goes for you guys, or anybody in here who may not be, maybe this passage is absolutely familiar to you. If, if, if it is, you're probably in a better place than those of us who are familiar with it. But what I'm asking again is to not just try to intellectualize what we're going to read, but actually put yourself in the middle of it. Place yourself into what's going on here in this story. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it to you guys very, very slow. So just, just so we can all do that. And while I'm reading it, I may even, I may even stop. At some points, and, and just to just kind of get you guys to reflect a little bit about what, what, we're, what we're actually reading. But again, it's Matthew 4, and the, uh, the scriptures we're looking at, it's not, not a whole lot of them, 
uh, but it's Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, picture that for just a second. Not that we know what Jesus looks like, but in our, everybody's heads, we've got, we've got some mind, something, something that we conjure up when we think of the name of Jesus. Picture Jesus walking by this, this body of water. You know, I don't know if any of you guys have ever actually been to that geographical territory, but again, y'all have seen pictures, and you've got at least some familiarity with it. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Picture him actually walking by this sea of water, this, this, this body of water. And take in what he sees. As he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I'll talk to you guys a little bit more about fishing in a minute and what that looked like. Come and follow me, Jesus said to them, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were also in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. We can safely assume they were, they were fishermen as well. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. That's the word of God for the people of God. Now, I hope, I, hope, I hope that you did what I asked you to do. You know, I hope you, as you read through that, that, uh, that something stood out for you, Some, something maybe jumped out to you, it's, especially if you've gone over this before, if you're familiar with this. It's, it's so hard for us to read passages that we're familiar with and, and really get into it because we think that we know everything about it. But my hope for you is that you really thought about what was, what was going on in that story, that something really jumped off the page to you, and, uh, made, you made you consider maybe something that you hadn't considered before. But what I want to talk about really today is, is something that has stood out to me before. And uh, it really, it, 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 it grabbed my attention so greatly when I first realized it. Uh, it made such an impact just on me personally. Um, and it continues to do that today. It, it, it never fails to kind of put me in, a, in a kind of a sense of awe um, on this story about the calling of Jesus' first disciples. And what that is, is, uh, is the lack of hesitation by these four men. Okay, we got two stories going on here. you got four fishermen here. Did you notice the lack of hesitation when Jesus said, follow me? Did you pick up on that, for goodness sakes? Because it is just absolutely, probably to me, it's one of the most glaring aspects of this story. Jesus says, and a matter of fact, what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says immediately, verse, uh, verse 22, immediately they left the boat, and, they and, and their father, by the way, we'll talk about that as well, and they followed him. Back in verse 20, talking to uh, Andrew and Peter, Jesus says, follow me. And at once they left their, they left their nets, and they followed him. With absolute immediacy, no hesitation whatsoever, they just stopped what they were doing, man. They stopped what they were doing right in the middle of doing it, and they left everything that they knew 
follow this guy they had literally, to our knowledge anyway, had just met. What an amazing thing that is. That says something. That says that, that, that should really, really tell us something. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Now, uh, my buddy, my buddy uh, Tony Mallory is not here with us this morning. But as most of y'all know, Tony is, a, Tony is an avid fisherman. And my understanding is that he's, he's pretty doggone good at it, too. But fishing in our day is, uh, is, is a far cry from what the fishing vocation, the fishing job, a job as a fisherman was in that territory 2,000 years ago. They weren't throwing, they weren't carrying around rods and reels, they weren't throwing lines, hooks, and sinkers into the water. Okay, it was a tough, tough, tough job. Um, some of y'all have, I can't remember the name of the show. Y'all can help me out if you want to. But there used to be a show on Discovery, I think it was, where the, the guys were, do the, were doing the crab fishing up in Alaska. What was the name of that? Deadly Catch. Y'all ever saw that? It would have been something very, very similar to that. You know, these guys were carrying around these massive, massive, we can't even, we really probably can't even fathom it in our minds how big these nets were. That they, were, that they had to cast out in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, breaking their backs, killing themselves. And by the way, they also probably were fishing at night uh, because that was the, most, the time that they were, that, that was the time of day that they were most apt to, uh, to bring in the largest haul. So more than likely when Jesus encounters them, uh, they're probably just going out for the night because um, I think the first story about Andrew and, and uh, Peter says they had already cast their nets and I think the other story... Um, about that John and James says that they were preparing their nets. So we can safely assume probably that Jesus met these guys uh, sometime at some point during the day as they were preparing to go out for the night. And can you imagine doing this hard, tough, tedious, uh, golly, uh, type of job? Um, not only that, but you're, you're doing it at night as well. So this was a tough deal, right? Um, now we could say, we could say, well, maybe they just didn't like their jobs anymore, right? Maybe they got tired of all this whole work. They, they saw an opportunity, they took it, right? Or uh, maybe in the case of uh, James and John, maybe they just didn't like their dad. They were, they were sick, of, sick, of put, sick of him being the boss, sick of putting up with his nonsense, and they just said, all right, we'll do whatever. I'm being kind of funny about that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't think that was the case at all, uh, at, at, at all whatsoever. I think... They had to have a pretty doggone reason for dropping everything that they knew. They had to have a pretty doggone good reason for leaving their jobs, for leaving their very livelihoods. Again, in the case of James and John, their own families. You know, who would do that? Who would do that in an instant? What would it take for you to give up everything about where you are in life and make such a massive, instantaneous life-altering change like that. I'll tell you what I think, and the Bible doesn't say this. This is my assumption and my assumption only. Here's what I think, though. I think they saw something pretty doggone special about this guy, Jesus. And I think that they picked up on that something special from the get-go. This was not an ordinary preacher that they were encountering. This was not some ordinary prophet that they were encountering. This was not some religious whack job or some kind of snake oil salesman that they were encountering. These guys, these four men, and the dad, by the way, we don't know why he didn't follow, that they had just encountered, they had just come face to face with the physical manifestation of God. 
God in human form. He called and they responded immediately. They dropped everything, man. They dropped everything to go after him. They followed Jesus in an almost, in an, not almost, even an absolutely unfathomable amount of complete trust. They didn't know who this guy was. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. They followed him anyway. Now that's an extreme example. This is an, and I get that. This is an extreme example of how a few people uh, responded to that initial call. So if you're wondering uh, by any chance, no, I don't think that Jesus wants to pull you away from his family. Although there will be times when your commitment to Christ probably or may cause some tension with your family. It may, even, it may be maybe even the source of some broken relationships. Sometimes that will happen. I don't think that Jesus wants most of us to stop supporting our families and haphazardly turn in a job resignation so we can just run off into the unknown. Although, at some point in your life, yeah, you may be called towards a different vocation than you're currently in. I was called to be a pastor at 38 years old. 22, you, you couldn't, I, I never would imagine what, that I would have darkened the door of a church when I was 22 years old, much less be standing up here. So yeah, you know, God can change you and make, and make some pretty drastic calls in your life. Maybe not that drastic. But at the same time, what we need to understand from this passage most certainly is that Jesus does want us, he does want you to be his follower in wherever you find yourself in life today. He wants you, he wants us to follow him in the ordinary events that transpire as we move throughout our lives, throughout our days. He wants us to care for others. He wants to exercise love, mercy, grace, compassion without fail and without question. Trusting him absolutely 100% as we go about doing and becoming these things. Y'all know that I like to talk about becoming these things. No questions asked, no excuses, no justifications for trying to go our own way and choosing not to follow him. We put that much trust in Jesus, unquestionable trust, 100%. And like the disciples, you know, that we read about today, we do it now. We do it, we do it without hesitation. Not I'll think about it, Jesus. Not maybe, Jesus. Not tomorrow, Jesus. Not I'm too busy, Jesus. We do it now. I'm going to read to you guys something. Um, it's, it's so cool how God works sometimes, man. It's, 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 just, it's just so really, really neat because this, this was not included in, in my sermon when I wrote it. I, just have, I actually just came across this this morning, as a matter of fact. Um, but I'm going to read to you something uh, out of a devotional that I, again, that I just happened to come across this morning. Um, and I know, y'all, I, I know that I've talked, I, you're, you're probably so sick of hearing it at this point, and, and if you're sick of it, you're probably going to get sicker of it, because I know that I've talked over and over and over many, many times about what it means, what it looks like to be an authentic follower, an authentic disciple of Jesus, a true follower. Uh, but the author here of this thing that I read this morning just does another great job uh, expounding on some of this stuff that I've talked about, that we've all talked about recently. We need to get it in our heads, y'all. I want, if, 
if and when I ever get out of Bemis Church, I want y'all to say one thing about me. Jerry Hudson told us, and we know without a shadow of a doubt what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm probably going to keep telling you and telling you if y'all get rid of me. But anyway, this, thing, this, is, this is another great uh, just expansion, if you will, of what it looks like, what it means to be a Christian, Kevin Mills. Not, not, a, not a, just a believer, a Christian, a disciple, a follower. Throw that up, Laurel, if you don't mind. And I, read, and I know that's kind of hard to read. I actually put that slide together. It's tiny. Um, and I don't expect you to remember this. But you might want to take a picture of it or go back and look at the video. So it's, it's just a really good description of what, it look, of what it means, what it looks like to be a follower, to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to become identified with the fundamental attitude that gave meaning to Jesus' existence. To learn to live in his lifestyle. Following Jesus means, here it is, following Jesus means believing what he believed. It means giving importance to what he considered important. It means taking interest in what interested him. It means defending the causes that he defended. It means seeing people as he saw them. It means getting close as he did to people in need. It means loving people as he loved them, trusting God as he trusted God, facing life with hope as he did. The first believers saw the Christian life as a perpetual adventure of renewal, a process of becoming new women and new men. What did we talk about the last two weeks? Becoming new people. Becoming new people. That inner transformation that we're called to. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It don't mean just believing all the right stuff. And I'm big on doctrine. Y'all know that. We've talked about doctrine before. Beliefs don't make us Christians, folks. Other than a handful of fundamentals, we can believe all we want to believe and look absolutely nothing like Jesus. Y'all know those people. Y'all we went, we've gone to church with them for decades. They believe all the right things, but they look like the devil and they talk like the devil, right? The call is not simply to be believers. The call is to be followers, and these guys responded immediately. It's our same call today. It's our same call today. It's setting aside all that stuff, all that stuff that sets us in the way of becoming these things and becoming this. That's what it looks like to be a follower. So my question that I want to pose to you is what stops us? What stops us from responding to that call without hesitation? What stops us from responding wholeheartedly to that call to follow him? You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, I, I suppose. You know, we've we got to get out of our comfort zones for one thing. But I think some of the biggest obstacles that we have is the fact that we have to give up certain things. We have to give up certain attitudes. We have to give up certain attachments. We have to give up certain prejudices that come into conflict with our desire and our ability to be disciples, to be followers, first and foremost. And we've all got these things, y'all. We've all got these attitudes. We've all got these prejudices. We've all got these... Uh, these, uh, these attachments, whether they're attachments to people, things, ideas, that's a big one. And it doesn't, get, it doesn't get talked about enough in churches, to be honest with you. Our ideas are a big one. Our attachments to the way that things are, the things the way should be, the way we think people are, those types of things. 
Those are major obstacles to us becoming this. You know, and, and uh, I'm not here to judge anybody. I don't know how, the, how your mind works. I don't, know how a single per- I don't know how the mind of a single person in this congregation this morning works. I don't know. Only you can figure that out. You're the only person who can identify these obstacles. And if you're honest with yourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we really should be able to pick out these things pretty quickly, pretty easily. You know, we, we, I've, I've gone into detail on some of these. We've talked about some of these things before. Uh, but I don't want to rehash those this morning. Um, and I don't want to do your homework for you. I want you to start asking yourself the hard questions. It's time for us to, to, go, to go deep, church. You know, y'all ever heard that expression, a mile wide and an inch deep? That's kind of the impression that I get of, not about you guys necessarily, but in a lot of Christian circles, that's the kind of the impression that I get. We got a mile wide worth of beliefs, and we got about an inch deep worth of actual faith and practice. Now we need to start exercising some real depth of our faith. And this starts by asking ourselves some hard questions. What is really in my heart? How do I truly feel about people, for one thing? If I got bad feelings about a specific person or a specific group of people, why do I have those bad feelings? And for God's sakes, how can I get rid of them? You should hope to get rid of them. If we have certain attachments to ideas, to things that we know get in the way of our ability to, to love God and to love others, what's stopping me from giving those things up? I'll tell you what's stopping you we care more about those things than we care about actually being followers of Jesus. That's, that's, that's pretty, that's simple. I admit that about myself all day long. I'm not here to beat anybody up. I am here to be honest and tell you guys how some of this stuff works. Take it from somebody who had a cold, 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 cold heart for a long time. And I ain't perfect, but I'm getting better at it. We need to start exercising some real, actual, truthful, spiritual depth. We need to quit worrying and concentrating so much. And y'all have heard me talk about this on these, these external sins, uh, especially of other people. <laughs> We're really good about that. We're really good about picking on other people's visible and external sins. We really stink at looking at ourselves. We really stink at going deep into ourselves and asking hard questions of ourselves and being honest about ourselves. That's what it takes to become a follower of Jesus. That's what it takes to realize, to have these types of transformations that we're really talking about, folks. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to look at yourself and find these things out. Figure this stuff out for yourself. What's stopping you? What is your major obstacles that are preventing you from being an authentic follower of Jesus. Attitudes, attachments, ideas. Last week we talked about we talked about external factors that shape us. If you happen not to have been here or, or, or hadn't heard, heard that last week, I'll tell you one more time. I was about to wrap it up. <laughs> but it's important, man. 
We are shaped and we are formed every single day, every single second, every single minute of our lives by so many things, by all of these external sources that we, that we come into contact with, like literally second by second, minute by minute. This is how your soul, this is how your mind, this is how your heart gets influenced, okay? Now listen to me, just tell, just tell me if this doesn't make practical sense if nothing else. My mind, my heart, and my attitude are shaped by the things that I am taking in, whether it's the social media that I follow, whether it's the news that I follow, whether it's the politics that I follow, whether it's the conversations that I have with people, whether it's the, uh, the friendships that I share with people, what I watch on television, what I listen to in my music, what I read, every bit of that has shaped us in our hearts and our minds and our attitudes from the very day that we were born. Does it look like Jesus? Are all of these things that are infiltrating our minds and our hearts, does any of it look like that? There's only one answer to that, folks. First of all, being honest and giving that to God and saying, yeah, 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 I'm being formed in ways I shouldn't be formed. It's not the devil of Christ by me. The second way is to start being formed by something else, and that's God. And that's why we have what we talked about last week, spiritual practices. That's why we pray. That's why we intentionally pray. That's why we pray. That's why we you know, do, study scriptures, whether we do it individually or whether we do it in groups. That's why we attend church. That's why, we, uh, that's why some, some of us fast. Uh, that's why some of us you know, we, 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 uh, participate in what we call corporate worship, which is, which is what we're doing today. What's influencing you more? What do you think is going to influence you more? What do you think is going to happen to your heart and your mind if it's being shaped by all this other nonsense? I think I said last week, you know, we can, we can scroll through Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever for three hours and not think twice about it, but we have such a hard time spending 20 minutes with God. What's influencing us the most? Simple answer. Simple answers, folks. If you want to be formed to the image of Jesus Christ, you've got to spend time with Jesus Christ. But you also have to start getting honest with yourself and where your heart and your mind is right now in this place, in this time during your life. We have to ask ourselves hard questions in order to be true followers, in order to become true followers. So that's what, I, that's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. Uh, spend some time this week doing that. Spend some time really really figuring out what these things are that are, that are being obstacles, that are, that are preventing that from happening to you. And... Uh, you know, I think I think we should. If we're again, if we're if we're completely honest, I think, I think we should be able to identify those things pretty easily. But if not, you know, if you've thought about this stuff and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, God will reveal it to you if you'll let Him. If you can't figure this out on your own, spend some time with God, some honest time, some real time, some actual time, <laughs> and let God talk to you through this thing. He'll do it, I promise you. I promise you. God, what is it in me? What is it about me? What is it in me that's serving as an obstacle between me and my ability to become an authentic follower of Jesus? Spend time with God throughout this process. And it is a process. It ain't going to happen overnight. I've been working on it for over a decade now. Probably never. I'll, I'll never. I'll never get to that point. But I think what you'll see, what you'll discover is that slowly and slowly and slowly 
bit by bit by bit, your heart starts to change, your attitude starts to change just a little bit as time goes on. Spend some time with God in that process. Listen to God. It's an excellent, excellent exercise to put into practice listening to the God who will speak to you through your conscience. And, you know, once you, once you understand them, once you're able to admit them, once you're able to, what's that Christian word? Confess them. Give that stuff to God. Say, hey, man, I turned that stuff over to you. I don't want it anymore. Vocalize that to God. Vocalize your authentic desire, not just your willingness. Hopefully, your heart has changed at some point. You really have an authentic and true desire to remove this stuff from your life, from your heart, from your mind. Vocalize that to God. You know, God, remove this from me. I don't want this garbage in me anymore. Um, I want to become an authentic follower of Christ. I want my immediate answer, without hesitation, to you to be a resounding yes. Y'all pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the, uh, for the witness of these early disciples that you called. And, and uh, just, you know, again, the, the example that they show for us. There's something special about Jesus. There has to be something special about Jesus. They recognized it, and we recognize it, God. But there's so much, so, 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 so very much that blocks us, God. And we are, we are so, so very stubborn a lot of times. Help us, God, to realize these things in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, these things that serve as obstacles, uh, that prevent us, that, that uh, dissuade us, you know, from fully giving in and fully following you and, and becoming what you want us to become, what you call us to become. All this we ask, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.